The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening with us today. We're very glad that you're here, and we're glad that you are communicating with us via Facebook and email, and we thank you so much for participating here with us on the Spirit of Recovery. We always have a great topic and a great guest for you. And we are uh, glad to be bringing those to you. We are also grateful that you're letting your friends in recovery, your friends in your spiritual community and in your unity community know about Spirit of Recovery and spreading the word about what we're doing here on unity.fm. We love broadcasting on the topic of recovery at Unity Online Radio. And um, we're glad to know that what we're doing is making a difference in your life. And uh, it's, uh, it's very gratifying to do that. So thank you again for tuning in. We want you to know that you can listen uh, on lots of different ways. You can obviously listen through your computer. You can listen through your smartphone. You can listen live. Uh, or you can also listen to our archives by going to www.unity.fm backslash program backslash spirit of recovery. And you can listen to uh, our, any of our archives at any time that you want. So there are lots of ways that you can access the great uh, guests and information we've got here and the great inspiration on Spirit of Recovery. The guests that we bring and the topics that we talk about here are things that are important to the recovery community. We talk uh, about things that are uh down to earth, our guests are knowledgeable and they're innovative. They're people that are either in recovery themselves or who are working with or writing for uh, people who are in recovery, all with the uh, idea of deepening our spirituality. And so we are uh, so happy to be bringing you practical information that, that inspires you, that gets you thinking and opens up some new possibilities for you in terms of your own spiritual growth. Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, and so if you're a person that's in recovery yourself from any kind of an addiction, or if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member, or a family member or friend of somebody that has the disease of addiction, whether or not they're in recovery, or if you're just looking for more information, or if you're somebody that just is curious, interested in the process of recovery, uh, the Spirit of Recovery does welcome you and welcomes your participation in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister, and I'm also a recovery counselor. I'm a person, um, in addition, that has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And uh, 31 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal development, spiritual growth, and recovery as a family member. And so my walk is an integration of the unity principles, the recovery principles, and that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing and keeps me getting closer to my higher power and um, claiming that. I'm very grateful uh, and very delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you. 
Today, uh, we're uh, having our topic is called Healthy Spirituality, One Foot in Earth and the Other in Heaven. And uh, my guest is Dr. Robert Hemfelt. And Dr. Hemfelt was my guest last week, and we were engaged in a wonderful conversation about the difference between healthy spirituality and uh, religious addiction. And we were, uh, he has such a rich wealth of knowledge and background and experience that uh, I decided to invite him back again, and we're going to continue and deepen that conversation talking about uh, what is uh, that healthy spirituality. What's the difference between that and some kind of an addictive sort of religious process that can actually get us off the path of our growth? What is it that really opens us out and what is it that closes us down spiritually has a profound effect uh, either for positive or negative on our recovery experience and process. So uh, our topic again is healthy spirituality, one foot in earth and the other in heaven. So, uh, Dr. Hemfelt is a licensed psychologist and a licensed marriage and family therapist. He works with adults and adolescents on marriage and dating and family and other relationship issues and also has expertise in addiction recovery. He uh, is an author. He's written many books. He's the co-author of the Serenity Bible, which is a a, a Bible with commentary that's relevant to people in 12-step recovery. And he's presented many seminars and workshops at major churches throughout the nation and has been a media guest. So, Dr. Hemfeld, thank you for being with us again this week to talk about healthy spirituality. Thank you, Anna. It's a delight to be with you. Well, tell us, a, give us a brief recap of, of what we talked about last week, that, that difference between religious abuse and healthy spirituality, and then we'll go on and deepen the conversation. Excellent. Last week we had talked about, in the long history of Western monotheism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, we had seen somewhat of a repetitious cycle, and our uh, Listeners may want to, for a moment, envision uh, a curve going up and then coming back down, kind of the classic bell curve. The upside of the curve, the emergence of a new religion, um, Judaism emerging emerging out of uh, Canaan, uh, Jesus uh, opening the heart chakra of Judaism, uh, the insights of Muhammad with uh, Islam, We begin with some core mystery. That mystery is embellished and uplifted with uh, mythical amplification. Then uh, we um, tend to name or select some sacred personnel. It can be a rabbi, a priest, uh, someone that is uh, the carrier of the faith. There is then uh, oftentimes a very creative oral transmission of the message. It is passed from person to person and generation to generation. There is some um, expansive documentation of the message, uh, the testa, uh, the the, uh, Torah for uh, Judaism, uh, the New Testament for Christians, the Koran for Muslims. And then there is finally the sacramental celebration of all this mystery. We uh, develop sacraments to uplift and uphold the mystery. So all of that is an upswing in a positive direction where we begin with a core mystery and things are done to convey and emphasize the mystery. On the downside of the curve, Uh, oftentimes the mythical elements around the mystery begin to be interpreted as literal. Um, Did the Red Sea indeed part uh, in the presence of Moses? Um, We we take these um, messages of myth that point to a very important truth and attempt to read them like uh, factual journalistic history. Over time, there's kind of a restriction of the selection and self-perpetuation of the sacred personnel. You have to go through certain rites to become a rabbi or a priest. Um, And then over time, there's the shutting down, what I call the occlusion 
of this very creative, organic oral tradition. Uh, there is a time where someone says this is the final, definitive word of God. Uh, for example, in the Muslim faith, around the 13th century, uh, the imams declared uh, that it was the time of ishtihad, the closing of the gates of revelation, that no more new revelation was to come. And, and with most formal religions, there is this uh, closing of the iron gates where we have uh, calcified the truth and solidified it, and there's no room for growth and modification. And then finally, at the very bottom of the downward descent of the curve, um, certain documents are selected to be sacred. They become idols, almost um, uh, false idols of worship in and of themselves. The sacraments degrade down to very mechanical rituals. We may no longer even know the reason we practice the sacrament. It's simply done by rote habit. So we begin with a core mystery, the questions we talked about last week, you know, what is life? Uh, is there a higher power? What is the destiny and direction of the human condition? And I think anytime we are earnestly and honestly probing those questions, uh, we are targeted towards spiritual growth. When someone or something or some organization begins to restrictively impose their interpretation of the mystery, then the caution sign goes up. So what would be uh, something that a person in recovery should be thinking about as they're developing their spirituality? Because... I mean, even in the 12-step program, there, even though it says God as you understand him, mm-hmm. they're still making a presupposition that there's God. So there's always some kind of structure in anything. So how, well, how we, would a person in recovery do this? Sure. We, we, we need structure to function. And I think part of the inspiration and the brilliance of Bill Wilson, the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, is he tried to walk that very delicate balance. Um, Bill Wilson was quite emphatic about his own experience, that his sobriety came through uh, a rather um, galvanizing spiritual experience that he even called his hot flash. But simultaneously, he vigorously resisted efforts to codify that conception of God. Uh, We sometimes forget in the early days of AA, there was tremendous controversy about who can or can't be members and what kind of God is or isn't going to be worshipped. And that's why Bill went out of his way to really open the aperture and say, yes, we must uh, rely on a power beyond our limited human resources, but we must always be tolerant and creative about the fact that uh, my understanding of that mystery may be somewhat independent from your understanding of it. So what you're saying is that if people, as long as people have a, a tolerance for other people's experience, that that is at least one of the keys to having a healthy spirituality? Or would you frame that differently? Oh, no, I think tolerance is very important. Uh, I'll I'll give you a quick example. In the history of uh, the evolution of monotheism, the uh, wealthy merchant from uh, Mecca, Muhammad, he uh, fell into disfavor with his neighbors and uh, took his small band of followers to Medina and tried to endear himself to uh, a large Jewish community there. At first, things went well politically and interpersonally, and uh, faithful Muslims were commanded by Muhammad to pray twice a day facing Jerusalem. Later, there was some uh, political conflict between these new residents of Medina and the existing Jews, 
Muhammad uh, broke from the Jewish community, went back to Mecca, and um, since that time there has been um, kind of a long, ongoing, hostile polemic between uh, Judaism and Islam, and of course today contemporary um, Muslims uh, do not uh, pray facing Jerusalem, they pray facing uh, Mecca. So that, that's just one example of how a, a small historical quirk that took place uh, 1,300 years ago can affect hundreds of years of theological development and result in a, uh, a rote ritual practiced by Muslims today, and they may not even be aware of that uh, piece of their history, that at one time they were affiliated strongly with the Jewish community and then alienated from that community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if a person's in recovery then, and uh, what would be something that they could do to make sure that they keep their spirituality healthy? What if they want to affiliate with a church or some other kind of, a, or a synagogue or a mosque or some other kind of a group? Well, I think my my answer there would be a little bit paradoxical, Anna. On the one hand, uh, in the big book of AA, and I'm not quoting verbatim, but uh, it says, if we have had a spiritual tradition, we will probably want to return to that as quickly as possible. And so, yes, if if I have an affiliation with uh, Christianity or... Judaism, I, I may well want to go back to um, my church, my religious faith, and see what elements of that uh, can be of strength and support to me. Now, the flip side of that paradox is we also say in recovery circles um, that the only thing that has to change if I'm going to recover is everything. So on one side of the paradox, yes, my my existing church and faith or my historical affiliation with that uh, faith expression may be a strength and a resource I can tap into, but I do have to be open to, uh, can I make it fresh and creative? Right. So to... Maybe if people want to to go to a religious community or or where they've been or a spiritual community or whatever, they still need to own it for themselves. They can't just fall back into some kind of a rote, not following the rules, I guess. We know um, sociologically the strongest determining factor of uh, an adult's uh, religious faith is the faith of the family in which they were reared. And... Again, there's a high side and a downside to that. The high side is um, a spiritual faith can be transmitted across the generations. The downside is if I am simply practicing Islam or Judaism or Christianity because that's what my parents did and my grandparents did, I perhaps have not owned it for myself. I have not fully integrated it into the authenticity of my belief system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes people in recovery get uh, involved in, in uh, lots of different things, which we'll take a look at when we come back from our break and sort of begin to sort out some, some more of these details about a healthy uh, spirituality. So um, it's time for our break. And uh, listeners, stay with us, and we'll be right back and continue talking with Robert Hemphelt about a healthy spirituality. We'll be right back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous love offerings of listeners like you. If you feel spiritually fed by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now.
have you come here to be? It's a question we all ponder from time to time. Reverend Kelly Isola, host of Spiraling Consciousness, and her co-authors have crafted a guidebook that will take you on a profound journey. If you long for love, peace, and joy, or yearn for commitment, passion, calm, or clarity, this book teaches you that you already have all of these within you. Whatever you long to experience outside of you is an aspect of you wanting to be birthed. Who have you come here to be? 101 Possibilities for Contemplation is part daily reader, part spiritual practicum. Drenched in gorgeous imagery, each powerful page invites readers to dance, to leap, to sit still, to stand tall as they ponder the question, Who have I come here to be? Join the journey of self-discovery. Come explore the world within an infinite field of possibilities to discover who have you come here to be. To order your copy of Who Have I Come Here to Be? 101 Possibilities for Contemplation, go to www.whohaveyoucomeheretobe.com. That's www.whohaveyoucomeheretobe.com. this year and we're throwing the biggest bash of all a cruise to the caribbean november 10 through 17 2012 we'll celebrate in style aboard holland america lines eurodam with sunshine fine dining and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the eastern caribbean plus feed your spirit with music message and meditation Your favorite hosts will be there, and we hope you will join us too as we celebrate five years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio. For more information, visit www.unity.fm forward slash cruise. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is healthy spirituality, one foot in earth, the other in heaven. And uh, we're exploring the idea of what is a healthy spirituality uh, as opposed to what might be a, a religious addiction or some kind of a, a, a distorted uh, spirituality which that isn't really spirituality that might take us uh, down a negative path in our recovery. And my guest is, is Dr. Robert Hemfelt. He was with us last week and we were having such a good conversation and he's uh, got lots of rich information and experience. So he's back with us. And uh, Dr. Hemfelt is a licensed psychologist and marriage and family therapist. He also works with people recovering from addictions. He's an author. He's a co-author of the Serenity Bible, which is a Bible with commentary for people in 12-step programs. And he is, uh, has appeared on many uh, different uh, media outlets and uh, given seminars across the country. And so before we get back to our conversation with Dr. Hemfelt, I invite you to join me uh, for a brief moment in the Serenity Minute, an opportunity to hear a constructive idea, to relax, to open up your mind and heart, and uh, just share the Serenity Minute with me and our other listeners. So here's the idea. I trust God's presence to be with me through my day. I trust God's presence to be with me through my day. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I hope that it did give you a moment there of relaxation and Opening up to that presence of God that's there with you and within you all the time. And now we're back to my conversation, healthy spirituality, one foot in earth, the other in heaven, 
with Dr. Robert Hemfelt. So, uh, Robert, tell us what are the warning signals for a toxic kind of a spirituality or religion? Well, spirituality uh, stresses the mystery of God and the sacredness of his uh, creation. So one very important warning signal is if I am affiliated with a religious system or structure that either uh, severely denigrates the human condition or attempts to uh, eclipse or restrict that ongoing quest for the mystery of God. Um, the denigration of humankind, um, we, we know out of our own Judeo-Christian heritage that we are told that we are created Imago Dei in the image of God, we are told we are created just uh, a little lower than the angels. Uh, we are told in the New Testament we are members of a royal priesthood. So I think we have powerful invitations uh, to accept uh, the creativity of who God made us to be. And uh, if I'm in a system that uh, comes down too heavily on the side of uh, besmirching the human condition, that's a warning sign, that's a caution flag. Um, a patient of mine years ago, uh, his father was still um, an active uh, minister, and he told me, he said, uh, when I go to hear my father preach each Sunday, I know exactly what's going to happen. And I said, what's that? He said, well, uh, things will begin in a very quiet, even tone. Uh, toward about the last three minutes of the sermon, my father will become ferociously angry and, you know, warn, chastise the sinners in the congregation. And then in the final 60 minutes, he'll cool down and wind down. And that happens Sunday after Sunday. And I, I was a bit skeptical, but he said, let me bring you a, an audio tape of one of his sermons. And it was quite amazing. Uh, this man started in a, a very moderate voice, escalated into this uh, anger and bombast against the congregation, uh, wound down uh, in the cool-off period toward the uh, end of the sermon. And I said, uh, what, what does your father say about that to you? Uh, I said, oh, he, he says the same thing each Sunday. He just says the congregation had a sweet spirit. Now, where, <laughs> where this uh, bombast of anger fit in with the sweet spirit of the congregation uh, is somewhat of an incongruity. But uh, that's one thing to be cautious of, is, is God's creation being uh, talked about in very uh, negative, debilitating terms. And then secondly, uh, I think if any time someone turns to you and says, I have the final, closed, definitive answer about the mystery of human existence and the mystery of the Godhead, uh, I would be cautious of that. I'd take a step or two back. Uh, years ago, there was a bumper sticker popular in uh, parts of the Bible Belt it showed a, a single hand with the far right finger pointing heavenward. And the bumper sticker said, one way. And that meant um, there, there was only one authentic religion. And a friend of mine was standing on the curb when we saw a car like that walk by. He glanced at that bumper sticker and he said, no, not one way, two ways, your way and my way. <laughs> and he was being a little bit combative, but he was making a very important point that, uh, you know, there are many pathways to the same Godhead, and we must be tolerant and respectful of those. What are some other warning signs that people should watch for when it is an addictive religion? Well, I think any time there is an effort on the part of the church to over-control human lifestyle, behavior, financial transactions, any or all of those 
can be very important caution flags. Um, if I'm going to church and uh, my minister is telling me uh, for whom I should vote, um, my minister is, uh, you know, being very uh, insistent upon certain amounts of money flowing into the church from my pocketbook to his projects. All of those are cautionary indicators. Uh, religion is very potent. Spirituality is even more potent. And it can be tempting to misuse or abuse that potential power. You know, sometimes it's, I think, uh, uh, for some of us, uh, it's maybe easier to see those kinds of abuses in uh, what we might call a more conservative type mm -hmm. of uh, Christian or religion. But uh, a lot of the same thing goes on in uh, the so-called more uh, open-ended types of spirituality, but I think people have a harder time recognizing it because, frankly, it's a little <laughs> more fa fascinating. Talk to us about that. Well, uh, a friend of mine uh, recently has gone through um, a very significant uh, spiritual growth uh, spurt in his own life and has uh, affiliated with a fairly uh, mystical, traditional, spiritual order. And uh, as such, has been exposed to many concepts, uh, such as the concept of uh, manifestation, that if my mind and ideas are focused in a certain direction, sooner or later I'm going to begin to show the fruits of that uh, focus and concentration. But I, I did caution him. I said, just as there can be a religious conservative fundamentalist, uh, there can also be metaphysical or new thought fundamentalist. And so if, if someone coming from um, a metaphysical school of thinking uh, corrects you and saying you should never speak a negative word or utter a negative thought or consider a negative side of a polarity, that can become as suffocating and dogmatic as the more uh, popularly understood uh, Bible Belt fundamentalism. Right. The... Um Talk to us about polarities. That's an important concept in, in spirituality. You just brought that up. What, tell us about polarity and why that matters to understand that. Well, I think that's uh, extraordinarily uh, important, Anna. Uh, when we look around us, everything in the universe um, is organized around polarities, things as simple as the, the battery I put in my flashlight. It has a negative pole and a positive pole. And if both polarities are not tapped into, there's going to be no light, no illumination. And in a very similar way, um, God seems to have organized spirituality, philosophy, metaphysics around a series of polarities. For example, um, I'm currently teaching a course on Jungian psychology, and as you well know, uh, Carl Jung talked a great deal about what he called the masculine and the feminine sides of the psyche, and he was saying that for any given man, any given woman, it's very important to tap into both sides. Uh, if I'm a man, I have a predominance of my masculinity, but I also have my feminine anima. If I am a woman, I have my predominant femininity, but I also have my counterpart, the masculine animus. And so, for example, we, we come up with a series of polarities, masculine and feminine. Uh, for the masculine, it tends to be scientific knowledge. For the feminine, it's poetic knowledge. Um, for the masculine, it may be characterized by the hero's journey. Uh, for the feminine, it may be characterized by the myth of the return of the eternal return. So we could go down a long list just with that one single polarity alone, masculine, feminine. 
And uh, again, I think if you find in a church, a church body, a teaching organization, uh, even a recovery program where only one side of a polarity is acknowledged, uh, that too is a cautionary signal. Um, as I say, the universe around us consists of endless polarities, and the interplay, the dance between those polarities is where the essence is. That's where the electricity flows. That, uh, that's the vitality. And so if one polarity is being uh, squelched or silenced, uh, I would be very cautious of uh, that religious body. How, why is it damaging uh, to squelch one side of a polarity? How does it harm the person? Well, this is uh, probably too simplistic an example, Anna, but um, it, it's, it's as basic as taking a light bulb. Um, you run two wires to a light bulb, one for the positive pole, one for the negative pole. If I remove one wire, um, the light goes dim. Uh, we, we have lost the light. And so if, if I'm involved in a, a system or a cult, that is only identifying, let's say, uh, logic as a tool for human navigation, that we're going to be strict, um, dialectical, syllogistic, logical thinkers, everything's going to be perfectly reasoned, we lose that whole other polarity of affect, emotion, feeling, intuition, poetry, uh, and we can see churches that go at either extreme, churches where there is hysterical emotionalism absent uh, some rational organization, or we can see churches that become moribund in their insistence that uh, human logic is the final tool for spiritual exploration. So again, we... We're looking for the mid-ground, the play between these polarities. That's great. And that's, I think, you used the phrase last week, one foot in heaven and the other foot in earth. I think that's a bit of what you're talking about here. Well, you know, there's, there's the old uh, spiritual, and I say old, it's uh, a few decades old, um, and I, I can't and wouldn't um, suffer you to have me sing it, but it, uh, the lyric in it is, I'm so spiritually minded, I'm no earthly good. Mm-hmm. And yes, it, uh, in 12-step recovery, we sometimes call that uh, the pink cloud phase of recovery where I have re-embraced, rediscovered my spirituality. There's been a rebirth inside me, a personal renaissance. Um, and and that, that's, uh, that's not a bad thing. It, uh, it's may be necessary in the early days and weeks of recovery, but then um, the heavier foot of reality sets back in. Uh, Can I pay my past taxes? Uh, Can I make amends? Can I reconcile estranged family relationships? So we're always looking toward the mystical, but at the same time wanting to be very practical in the application of it. It seems like uh, to me that the 12 steps are somewhat unique in, in a very positive way in, in putting, having that one foot in heaven and one foot in earth and calling people into to real integrity. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes in, in religion it seems like people slide, like they can mount, talk, talk that they don't walk to walk. Well, I think that's true. Um, and in the 12 steps, uh, steps 6 and 7 are very mystical um, in terms of verbiage. They're the shortest of the 12 steps. But basically they say when we reach um, awareness of our deepest character defects, humanly, I'm not going to be able to uh, transmute those, and I have to surrender those to God and his transforming touch. So that's very highly mystical. But then a few steps later, we're back down to um, something rather prosaic, the making of amends. 
if I if I've borrowed money and not paid it back, I, I will go back and try to literally uh, reconcile those accounts. So I would agree with you. I think uh, 12-step recovery has highly mystical elements and very pragmatic elements as well. Um, Carl Jung, uh, you just brought him up a minute ago, and um, he made a statement that somebody asked him, do you believe in God? And he says, I don't believe in God, I know God. Yes. And uh, so when we come back, I want to ask you about that. What does that mean? And uh, how can we all know God and still be a spiritual community if we have different experiences? So listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you ask with childlike wonder, what is the nature of God? Who is Jesus? What is the Christ? How do we know what we know? When you ask these or other heart-centered questions about the non-physical, intangible aspects of life, you are, on some level, a student of metaphysics. New from Unity House and nearly five years in the making, Heart-Centered Metaphysics, a deeper look at Unity teachings, is now available. This is Paul Hasselbeck, author of this quintessential study guide. Enjoy a deeper exploration of universal spiritual principles and truths, whether you are just starting or have been seeking for years. Each thought-provoking chapter of Heart Center Metaphysics speaks to truth seekers like you, providing essential tools to help elevate your consciousness and create spiritual transformations in your outer life and circumstances. Order your copy today from the Unity Online Store at www.unity.org. Then click on Shop. What is the key to happiness? Would you like to find the fountain of youth? How about all the money and love that you could handle? Well, my friends, it is there for you. You just need to strip off the false beliefs that keep your divine inheritance from being attracted into your life. You need to be real. Be vulnerable. Be naked. What are you waiting for? Let's get naked. This transformational program with Reverend Heidi Alfrey is an invitation to explore and remove the blocks that keep you from emotional freedom. Listen to Heidi and her revealing guests as they embrace the power of spiritual nakedness as a guaranteed way to live an authentic and transparent life. Expose yourself to your greatness on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Time. Let's get naked. No dress code required. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You gotta get rid of your butt. It's bigger than it would appear. It hinders your forward movement when you keep bringing up the rear. You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and we're very glad that you're listening with us today. If you're just joining us, our topic is healthy spirituality, one foot in earth, the other in heaven. My guest is Dr. Robert Hemfelt. Um, He was with us last week, and we had such a great conversation that I invited him back so that we can continue on with this conversation. And he's talking with us about the difference between healthy spirituality um, and a a toxic or addictive kind of religion. So, um, Robert, right before the break, I... uh, quoted uh, that by Carl Jung, where somebody asked him if he believed in God, and he says, no, I don't believe in God, I know God. So, how does that work? And and what if I know God and you know God, but we know different gods, or whatever? <laughs> How's that well, work? Uh, two verbs that may help a bit in uh, trying to tease that out, Anna. Um, we often talk about um, the verb to comprehend, 
which is based more in the logical mode of our cognition. It's the part of me that can add 2 plus 2 and tally up 4. And our comprehension is certainly very significant, but uh, as we said before the break, if I am too tightly wedded to my logic, uh, I lose a very important piece of my spiritual navigation equipment. Uh, the polarity, the counterpart to my uh, logical cognition is my feeling, my emotion, my affect, my intuition, the part of me that knows without knowing. Uh, an ancient theologian even talked about uh, theology as being the cloud of unknowing. Uh, the moment I can say I stand in wonder, awe, and mystery, that may be a very important opening of the door. So I think with uh, with Carl Jung, uh, he was a brilliant thinker and uh, had a keen, logical mind, but he would be the first to say uh, that probably more than my logic, my intuitive sense of the existence, the presence of God, is more important than a series of logical arguments I could posit to you. So it's more a relational idea of knowing, not so much, as you said in my head, a logical, I know, information. Yes, in fact, the uh, the eminent 20th century Jewish theologian uh, Martin Buber uh, talked about what he called uh, I now relationships in the body of Christ or among humanity. And what he meant by that is when I uh, encounter you, if I see you as another living manifestation of God's creative spirit, um, that interchange between us, my love pouring out to you, your love reciprocally returning back to me, uh, somehow in that experience as humans, we know love, we know God, uh, but it's not based on logic. Uh, attempting to comprehend uh, God only by logical means would be uh, tantamount to um, going through uh, uh, an art exhibit uh, with a black and white camera. Uh, I could capture images of paintings but I would lose this incredibly rich, diverse palette of colors. Uh, now, I, I'll give you an example from our own Dallas community. I, I know of some churches, and uh, I hope I'm saying this respectfully, but on any given Sunday morning, there will be an overhead projector and three or four lines of Scripture and the uh, senior minister delivering the homily will go word by word, line by line, giving a kind of um, exegesis of the piece of Scripture. And that can be informative. But if I come, become too tightly wedded uh, to that kind of worship experience where I'm having to trace the meaning of the Greek words and the Hebrew words and the syntax, and, um, and we get lost in that, and, and we lose the vital passion of our spirituality. Then you just sort of get lost in your intellectual experience, yes. I guess. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in that intellectual realm, and I, I, I respect higher education and the intellect, but... Uh, we can spin in some um, dead-end cul-de-sacs with human logic. Right. You know, one thing that's almost the opposite of this, but uh, is the concept in spirituality of, of the place of humility and surrender. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that certainly Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12-step programs, I think, do a, a, a good, a lot, and I, in my opinion, a very good job of really bringing home the point, you know, that you need to be humble and to surrender. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, one of the traps in spirituality 
when we begin to get a little uh, sense of that power is to, is to turn it into a superstition. It's like, well, I've got a little power. Like your friend that you were talking about, the whole business about uh, in, a, in a more new thought type of uh, mm-hmm. spirituality, I can manifest. And so people get, can get kind of arrogant, get lost in there. So how, what do you do when you, you start getting in touch with some power? Well, I'm glad you've asked that question, Anna. Uh, it's actually a, a very fundamental question in the uh, field of psychotherapy. Um, when persons come to see me, uh, typically they tend to be on one of two sides of a continuum. Um, the swollen narcissist has an overinflated sense of his uh, identity and entitlement. Uh, the person wallowing in depression and low self-esteem has a deflated sense of self. And the effort, again, is to wed these two polarities to find the mid-ground. And what that means, uh, for me at least, in religious experience, is any time I tread into the realm of the spiritual, I, I want to have appropriate humility. I... Robert, do not have final answers to these questions. At the same time, I do want to feel empowered by the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. And certainly for any recovering addict, uh, they can give you wonderful testimony about how a spiritual rebirth has empowered them to counter the extraordinary power and hold of the addiction itself. So we walk that balance between um, humility and empowerment. It's a both and, not an either or. You know, one thing that uh, you've been talking with about us last week, to us about this last week and this week, is the concept of of that the idea certainty in uh, spirituality is a trap. So... Tell us about that, and I believe you've got a clip you'd like to share with us talking about Yes, that. as we're closing, Anna, um, anytime we have the human itch to pronounce final certitude, we may be doing a death uh, blow to the spirit of spirituality. There was a 20th century scientist and humanitarian, uh, Jacob Bronowski, who put together a wonderful series for the BBC called The Ascent of Man, which was a play on words of Darwin's Descent of Man. In this series, he steps into the remnants of the Auschwitz uh, German prison camp, the death camp and crematorium, and I'll let him speak his own words. Here he says that science, has not turned people into numbers. The itch for absolute certitude, that has turned people into numbers. And as we hear his words, he is stepping into the water of the pond behind Auschwitz, into which uh, the ashes of millions of Jews were flushed. So let's listen to his uh, pronouncement on this. people and turn them into numbers. That's false, tragically false. Look for yourself. This is the concentration camp and crematorium at Auschwitz. This is where people were turned into numbers. Into this pond were flushed the ashes of some four million people. And that was not done by gas. It was done by arrogance done by dogma. It was done by ignorance. When people believe that they have absolute knowledge with no test in reality, this is how they behave. This is what men do when they aspire to the knowledge of God. Science is a very human form of knowledge. We are always at the brink of the known. We always Feel forward for what is to be hoped. Every judgment in science stands on the edge of error and is personal. 
science is a tribute to what we can know although we are family. In the end, the words were said by Oliver Cromwell. I beseech you in the bowels of Christ, think it possible you may be mistaken. I owe it as a scientist to my friend Leo Zillard. I owe it as a human being to the many members of my family who died here, to stand here as a survivor and a witness. We have to cure ourselves of the itch for absolute knowledge and power. We have to close the distance between the push-button order and the cue Well, I think those are important words. We we must touch people. That's right. That it's time for us to go. But thank you again, uh, Robert. This is Dr. Robert Hemfelt, uh, psychotherapist here, talking with us about healthy spirituality. And that's right. We have to infuse it always with our humanity and respect for others. Thank you for being with us, and thank you all for listening. And Be back with us again next week here on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and to join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Love the Bible or hate it, turn to it daily or refuse to have it in your house. The Bible Alive, Exploring Your Spiritual Roadmap is a program designed just for you. Here on Unity FM, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley presents the Bible as a practical, powerful spiritual roadmap full of wisdom and guidance for the challenges of life today. A roadmap for your spiritual journey. Isn't that just what you are seeking? Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, for The Bible Alive, exploring your spiritual roadmap with Rev. Ed Townley, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels, on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. 
Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.